Welcome, everybody, to the Epicenter West LA podcast. I'm Jamal Corner here with Pastor Lawrence. Uh, how you doing, sir? Man, I'm doing great. Excellent. Good to see you again. It's been a while. It has been a bit. Uh, we took a couple weeks off. Of course, you guys won't know this, um, but uh, we're back at it, and uh, we're going to discuss actually a new series recently started called World of Wonder that I'm, I'm pretty excited about, um, which really discusses kind of things in the world that keep us from the wonder of God. Now, you started this mm. sermon out with something that I'm super fond of, <laughs> uh, very funny, but also very truthful, uh, called the TLDR version of the Bible, The Too Long Didn't Read. Would you like to share that with the people? Yeah, so just so everyone knows, it's not original to me. I did not come <laughs> up with it. Um, I forgot who came up with it, because uh, it's circulated around different places from Facebook to Reddit, but um, someone wrote this, and it starts off in, in Genesis and goes through kind of the whole Bible, but very condensed. So uh, in Genesis, God's saying, all right, you two, don't do the one thing. Other than that, have fun. Adam and Eve agree, okay, and then Satan comes along, you should do the one thing. Adam and Eve say, okay, and then God comes back and says, what happened? Adam and Eve, we did the thing. And then God, kind of in a, you know, uh, wagging finger kind of way, guys. Um, and, I mean, it's it's a long one, yeah. right? But it basically what it goes through is the Bible over and over again of humanity, don't do the one thing. And we do the thing. And we do the thing, uh-huh. and then either God or Jesus or... Or Paul, some authoritative figure is like, guys, <laughs> it's this idea that you've one thing to get right in life and you've messed it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, come on, get it together. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I really appreciate the humor in it. But I think there is so much truth in how either non-Christians view Christianity, but particularly how Christians view Christianity, 100%. that it is about not doing bad things yes. and instead do good things. And so... When you don't do the good things and when you end up doing the bad things, there's this guilt trip, shame issue that goes on, and then there's a distance that it creates between us and God and mm-hmm. our faith, and I think it's hugely problematic. I can relate to that quite a bit. Um, I can remember kind of growing in my maturity, you know, being a Christian, and that is kind of what I felt like Christianity was portrayed to me as. It was it was boundaries. It was mm-hmm. about what not to do. Right. Uh, about living a holy life. And while those things are very important, they're not as exciting as the idea of being empowered by God. And actually, what what not what I don't do, but what do I do? Right. right. What what am I receiving? What am I going after? Right. Um, so that I, I loved it for that reason. Very funny, but also uh, hit home quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you also talked about a little bit about the concept of uh, Gnosticism. Uh, oh, Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism, yeah, sure. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. It's okay. Um, which, you know, in, in essence is kind of the, as a Christian, a, a belief that you're kind of saved or redeemed by a special knowledge. Um, talk about maybe a bit why that's important. And Yeah, okay. it's it's really interesting. I remember in, in high school when I would, um, you know, as a youth and youth counselor, we would study the epistles and a lot of uh, first, second, third John is also addressing Gnosticism and just thinking, I don't know what this is. Mm-hmm. It's something random that happened back then. And then in my later years, realizing actually how relevant Gnosticism is for us today, because it was a, a heretical teaching in the Bible that Paul is addressing. Many of the New Testament authors are trying to address. But I think we forget that when we look at our culture today, um, it's not that far removed from Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. In America, um, we have this idea that I am saved through, we wouldn't call it a special knowledge, but to use layman's terms, I'm saved because I prayed the prayer. Mm-hmm. 
And so I've um, spoken, I've confessed, I've repented, I've declared that Jesus Christ is Lord, which is beautiful and wonderful, and we should celebrate that. But that becomes the epitome of what the gospel is. I'm saying a prayer to receive a gift, which is salvation or eternal life. I'm in, essentially. I'm in. And then there is the idea, we would never say this way, that it doesn't matter what we do with our body, Uh which is what Gnosticism would say, all matter is evil. So because it's evil, we can never be cleansed of it. So it doesn't matter what you do with your body. Your special knowledge is all that matters. We wouldn't say that, but in practice, I think we we do do that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there is this misunderstanding, if you will, of lifestyle. And I think we see that so often in America. Um, John MacArthur, for example, back in, I think it's the 80s or 90s, was criticized for saying that it wasn't just salvation, but lordship salvation. Hmm. And people criticized him because it's idea that you had to do something more Mm -hmm. than just be saved. Um, In in all fairness to to John MacArthur's defense, which I'm rarely for his defense, by the way, (laughs) uh, but in his defense, I think he was just trying to articulate that Jesus has to be more than just a prayer you say to save you. He has to be your Lord. You have to follow him. And I think that's biblical. But we're trying to describe it because there's something in our society when it comes to Christianity that's that's gone awry. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that, yes, you're saved by some special knowledge, and you're not sure how your lifestyle fits in. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's as clearly defined as Gnosticism, but we constantly wrestle with um, if, if Jesus has saved me, then I'm good. Right. And if I sin, then I'll just ask for forgiveness. Sure. And that's a tendency. And I think, like you said, Jamal, it doesn't give me a clear picture of what I'm really living for mm-hmm. because we constantly focus on what Jesus saves us from. Gotcha. And that's another problematic thing that um, one scholar and uh, a pastor and author, a guy named uh, N.T. Wright, writes about that in the American church, we focus so much on the crucifixion or on Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful and wonderful, and we need to because Jesus did pay a great price for us. But the cross was always paired together with the empty tomb. Mm -hmm. It was Jesus dying on the cross, and three days he rose from the grave. And and including those two things together as the gospel are really important because in the U.S., we focus so much on the cross, which is he died to rescue you from your sins. So then it's all about, therefore, stop sinning. But we don't describe the life he calls us into. Mm -hmm. And so what we begin to understand then is the life he calls us into is a life of not sinning. But that's, that's not a grand vision. That's a small vision when, uh, as I shared this past Sunday in Colossians chapter 3, Paul's saying, I'm, I'm not calling you to be a religious person, right. just be a good person. I'm calling you to the essence of the gospel, which is not just the cross, but it is the resurrection. It is the empty tomb. It's now living a life of resurrection, and that's a vision worth living for, and it's focused less on what you did wrong and more of this glorious picture of entering God's world of wonder if you will. And it's about so much more than the thing, in essence. For sure, um, for sure. So that that's a really impactful message, I think, for Christians, but I think also for non-believers, because I think um, that sometimes the perception of people coming to church for the first time or that are unfamiliar with Christianity is that their, their life's kind of going to be audited, in a sense. They're going to be restricted from things. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to have to give up things. And again... That may be a part of the journey, but that's not the message. Right. It's about what they're receiving, right. what they're going to walk into, right? right? For not, sure. not what's going to be taken away. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, I think also just um, you walk into the wisdom of Jesus. Um, 
when I read so much of Jesus's teachings, I, I think even though Jesus spoke them 2,000 years ago, they're so relevant for today. Um, I shared about this in a previous series. Um, gosh, I can't remember when it was, probably a few months ago, but uh, no, actually recently when we look at our society right now uh, and we see some of the abuses, take the, the Me Too movement, for example, mm-hmm. um, it's because we've misunderstand how sex functions in our society today. And so when you let it, when you let sex run its course um, outside what God intended it for, mm-hmm. it's leading to abuses. It's leading to, you know, uh, sex is this thing that you can do whatever you want with it. Well, if you really believe that, there there are some consequences to that. And I think, um, I, I don't think God's, you know, looking at humanity and judging it. I don't think there's a wagging finger. I think there's more of... Um, you can walk in wisdom, which is life-giving, right. uh, or you can kind of see the destruction of what things lead to, and we're seeing some of that in our society, um, which, which I guess presents short-term freedoms, mm-hmm. but with long-term impacts and consequences. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when 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 Jesus calls us to a resurrection life, included in that is is God's wisdom, as opposed to you know human intellect or human. Uh, philosophy or human ideologies what we think are really important or really good the bible says they don't they don't they don't compare to to even god's folly says humans wisdom is less than god's folly and so jesus calls us to a life where we're walking in wisdom uh, which produces you know life obviously one of the things i enjoy is i feel like a lot of these series that happen kind of tie together in a way so i know the previous one was about uh being called calling and right we studied and learned about elijah um this series and this message kind of made me harken back to it in a Mm. sense because you talked about you know as a christian sometimes we get caught up in the rules Mm -hmm. right um you know we get caught up in things that prohibit us Right, from truly kind of realizing maybe our calling, from truly walking in that, that world of wonder and the gifts of God. Um, so I, I think that was really interesting for me, too, just kind of in how it um, can prohibit you or, or keep you from really realizing for what, what God has for you ultimately. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, before you even get to calling, it hinders us from relationship. And I sure. think calling is all about relationship. Sure. We obviously see calling from our point of view of, I want to know what I was made for, Mm -hmm. but you can't really know what you're made for unless you know that, aside from vocationally, you're you're called to God. You're Mm -hmm. called to walk with Him, partner with Him. So I think when our faith is reduced to do's and don'ts, it doesn't call us to relationship. Mm -hmm. And so there's this idea that God has this world of wonder. And and I love this imagery that I think, um, I, I, I talked about Disneyland which is very relevant for L.A. But I think Disneyland is great because it's a world of play. Mm-hmm. And I think we don't think about God inviting us to a world of play, but God is this this father figure that, um, you know, I love playing with my kids, and there's this desire of God to, to show us new things, to awaken, to wonder, to almost be in awe of his world, um, and to, to play with him, to enjoy him, to walk with him. And I think that's all part of destiny and calling. Mm-hmm that we begin to understand that God's inviting me to something. Sometimes I would initially say yes to, right? I mean, I don't think everyone here would, if God was calling them in ministry, would immediately go, yes, that's what I've been right. <laughs> waiting my whole life to do. Or if right. he calls you to something else that's that's hard initially, you wouldn't opt into it initially. 
But when we understand that God is a loving God, God is somebody who is, um, I think, always wanting to rock our world and expand um, our, our boundaries, we can trust that leadership. We can trust the leadership that number one, God is inherently good. Number two, it's a it's a place of exploration because He wants to expand our capacity. He wants to broaden our boundaries. He wants to, you know, show us a larger world. When we begin to shape it that way, we say, "Wow, it's hard, but God's doing something wonderful, mm-hmm. and I can miss out." Right? We talk about absolutely FOMO, right? The fear of missing absolutely. out. Absolutely, it's like when God speaks. Now I have the fear of missing out on what God could do. Mm-hmm. I know what I want to do. Right. And it's hoping that we we want to trade and give up what we're holding on to to grab hold of what God's inviting us into, that that would be more natural. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be something we have to wrestle with uh, for so long or mm-hmm. think that God's against us. And so this idea of God calling us into a world of wonder calls us first to relationship, which then builds trust, and it trusts that he's always calling us to more in the most brilliant and beautiful way possible, which helps us to step into to calling. I remember your, your Disneyland analogy uh, spoke about the entrance of Disneyland. Now that's such a popular place to take photos, right? To get right. your IG on. <laughs> but there's so much more to the park, right? You, you can get hung up on that entrance mm-hmm. without experiencing all the wonders of the entire park, yeah. which I thought was a really good analogy. And I think all of us uh, fall into that um, on some level. Um, I'd asked you kind of previously uh, whether you, you think of maybe a, a good biblical example. I thought that contrasted, you know, really experiencing God's wonder versus just kind of playing the rules, which I think, you know, a lot of us are playing the rules and we're trying to mature and get to that space of really realizing that wonder that he has. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, The one that immediately comes to mind is honestly uh, Saul before he became Paul. I mean, Saul was, uh, he says about himself, he was um, educated in all the ways of a Pharisee. So he had a very privileged background um, that prepared him to be a religious um, authority figure, religious mm-hmm. educator, if you will. He lived by all the rules. He was, you know, born in the right family. He, you know, excelled in all these uh, kind of religious measurements, if you will. And then he comes to faith, and the way he talks about his past, his his rules past, if you will is he compares it, uh, a lot of seminarians used to, I guess, use this as a joke back then, he compares it as turd. Yeah, he, he says it's rubbish is one of the translations, but it literally means it's dog turd. His, whatever my past was of my religious background, of going through you know these Hebraic schools where I'm learning how to be a, a religious leader and, and memorize this and be of this tribe and that, he considers it consider it's all rubbish or crap, really, compared to this life of freedom now in Christ. And I think of uh, Saul, before he was Paul, not just with that rules-oriented lifestyle, but kind of, what kind of person was he? Mm -hmm. We don't know a lot about him, but when he first saw the Christians, he was after them. He he persecuted them. And I think of, and he was a person that um, was controlling, probably. He was a person that um, wanted things to fit nicely in a box. and, And I think... I just think of someone who was anxious, stressed, mm-hmm. um, you know, just kept things together and just wanted everything to, to fit nicely. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us can live our lives that way. Um, we live almost to manage things mm-hmm. and control things and order things. And we don't experience them. Sure. We don't enjoy. I, I can't imagine that. I'm sure, I'm sure Saul enjoyed parts of it. I think there's 
a certain level where you feel good knowing a lot of things. Um, you can manage things. But I think the life he lived when he became Paul was really different because it was now not about what he could control, mm-hmm. but about adventure, right? You see him moving out to spread the gospel uh, through, you know, getting on a ship, you know, to bring the gospel somewhere. He's traveling by foot. He's, you know, telling people about who Jesus is. He's going to new groups. Uh, I think of one in I think Acts chapter 16 or 17 where he goes to uh, Athens and he talks to a whole new group of people who have never heard about Jesus before. He he performs miracles. I mean, it is a whole new level. Sure. sure. And even I think the Apostle Paul is just scratching the surface uh-huh. of what the kingdom of God is about. And so even later on in life when he finally gets arrested and put in house arrest, I don't get a hint where he's bummed out about that. I mean, I think because he's experienced and tasted the wonderful world of God, which is so different from his religious upbringing, he's like, wow, I can be in house arrest and find purpose. I'm going to write letters. That's awesome. I'm going to encourage the church. And and I think there's got to be joy coming out of it. In fact, the book of Philippians is said to be a great book about joy, that even though Paul is literally in chains, chained up, managed controlled right. sure he's free he's he's the most joyful person alive in that moment um and i think that's a beautiful picture of contrast 100 you know? no that that's an awesome picture uh an exciting one um so which, which begs the question the tough question i think how do we uh as christians kind of break those chains and those confines in our mind <sighs> and, and begin one. to you know to open our minds and to not limit god yeah. uh to not ultimately limit ourselves as well um, and, and walk in that in that space where he's allowed allowed us to experience the wonder. It's such a good question. A few things come to mind for me. Um, I, th- I think the big one just initially is the ability to tell yourself, I think my world's too small. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of in our small group curriculum, I wrote this question of how do what what are ways that I keep God in a box? And I think that could be recognizing there's ways that I think about God that I need to be willing to change. I'm not talking about massive theological shifts, although maybe sure. for some people it could be a different picture um, of how you see God. Uh, a lot of people grew up with God as a militant person mm-hmm. or disciplinarian or a distant figure that was measuring you up to a certain standard, right? That picture needs to change. So if that picture is how I see God— um, your view of God is huge and, and willing to almost, almost say my view of God keeps him in a box mm-hmm. and keeps my world of God way too small. I think that's one. Second one could just be our our faith background and upbringing. You know, we are people of tradition. And so if you grew up in a certain tradition, God looked a certain way. And for me, one of my journeys is going back to Scripture and being surprised by Scripture. Um, we always talk about when we when we go to Scripture, we want to go to it as if it's the first time I'm reading it. Mm-hmm. I think we have too many filters. Oh, this this passage is about this. Right? Is it? Let's let's read it again and let right. it speak. Because um, one of the passages I shared on Sunday, and I just shared it again in another group, was from Acts two forty three, that um, many of the believers were filled with awe, and they were filled in awe, particularly at the signs and wonders by the apostles. And so it made me realize when I was younger that it had been a while since I've ever experienced awe sure. with a group of Christians. Sure. And to me that was like, 
that's problematic. Like I had to go that that is not okay because that's not the way God intended. So what went wrong? Mm-hmm. And so there was a willingness to say, regardless of my church background, church upbringing, I have to be confronted that the scriptures are saying something different. That my my normal, if you will, which maybe church was just about hanging out with friends, right. having good food, like that was not the essence of all the, what the church was about. It's part of it. Mm-hmm. But I had to be willing to give that picture up to to just um, align my 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 picture with the Word of God. And then it says not just all, but with signs and wonders. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? I had to give them my comforts. Like there could be places where um, something looks weird or feels weird, and I have to keep engaging and and almost put on um, curious a curious eyes and curious heart. Like hmm. I want to know, God, where are you moving? And um, there was a, a speaker who said it this way, and, and maybe if you're listening, you may not like this analogy. It's probably helpful to a certain extent. He said you almost have to turn off your mind and open your heart. Hmm. And it, it doesn't sound good because I don't think God tells us to stop thinking. Right. But I think what's helpful about it is that we are overthinking it and overanalyzing it mm-hmm. and overfiltering it where we don't let ourselves experience it. And I'm finding most people are having that problem um, where we're overthinking, we're overanalyzing, we're too, we're too quick to critique or criticize uh, versus allowing myself to, to experience something of God and almost to step into mystery again. Mm-hmm. That's probably my last thing is we want certainty. And so what doctrine brings is certainty. Mm-hmm. I'm certain about these beliefs. Sure. I can check off the marks. And that's why doctrine has led to religiosity. We want certainty. In America, we're all about certainty. Right. And I think we need to come back to mystery to say there are a lot of things I don't know about God. Right. There are things about the Holy Spirit. I don't know how he moves because when I look at the scripture and how the Holy Spirit moved, I, I might be a little bit weirded out <laughs> if I saw that today. Right. But I think that's a good thing to recognize because mm-hmm. then I'm aligning my my understanding with the scriptures, not with my own experiences. So coming back to mystery and I think engaging that mystery and and being okay with some experiences where where I'm just hungering and, and almost curious again of God, how do you move? And not just how do you move in general, but how do you want to move in me? Mm-hmm. And how, how do I open up myself uh, again, not just to be curious, but even hunger again. Sure. To recognize there's things in my life that maybe I've been closed off to. Maybe... You know, if I put God in a box, then yes, there is a world of wonder. I've experienced 0.01% of God's world, and I could be missing out. Absolutely. So I think that's part of it. No, that's that's really good. It's a lot, obviously, going on, but um, I think that's where I would start, just admitting where, um, you know, my understanding of the world of God's been small and uh, moving away from, uh, not fully away, but letting go of certainty a little bit and moving Mm -hmm. into mystery. Mm And, and developing hunger once again for more of God in my life. Sounds like humility also plays yes. a big part in that, right? No matter yeah. how far we go, right? We never have it. His ways are always beyond our understanding. And we've, we, there's always so much more to unlock, which yeah. is the exciting part, I think. I think humility is a really good word. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not aware when we're not being humble, unfortunately, because it's not overt pride. Sure. But I think certainty and criticism in itself can be versions of pride, or if I don't, I'm not willing to admit that my world might be too small. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, humility. I want to almost become like a child again, right? And uh, and gaze at God and be open to Him to move in ways that um, may not fit my paradigm. Um, humility. Be a learner. Be a child. It's all good things. Jesus said a lot about that. 
Awesome. Well, very exciting message. Um, you know, unlocking that world of wonder is a, a really awesome prospect, I think, for all of us. So thanks for joining Thank me you. once again, sir. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening.